It can be hard to know what our kids are really thinking and feeling. But when we encourage kids to engage with us in conversation, and when we lean in and actively listen, we inevitably learn something that helps us do better by them. Welcome to Dear Highlights, the podcast inspired by letters and emails from kids who write to highlights, seeking a listening ear and a little guidance as they wind their way through childhood. A short, sweet season, but also a period of heavy lifting for kids. I'm Christine French-Cully, Editor-in-Chief of Highlights and your podcast host. I'm joined by Hilary Bates, our podcast producer and thoughtful mom of two. We're here to amplify the voices of children and to explore with expert guests many of the issues that kids and families wrestle with regularly. We're glad you've joined us. Dear Highlights, my mom and dad have been separated for about a month. I have two guests. I get keys to Hillary, today we are talking to one of our very own, Highlights CEO Kent Johnson. Now, I'm not sure how he'd feel about this descriptor. I've never used it on him. But I've always felt that he's a bit of a unicorn when it comes to CEOs. I mean, for starters, the man has a PhD in physics from Harvard, right? And at a pretty young age, he left an exciting, promising career in science, which he dreamed of and trained for for many years, because he became more excited about making the world a better place for kids through the kind of work we do at Highlights, a company founded by his great-grandparents. Now, Hillary, you've probably also experienced this thing that happens when you tell people you work at Highlights. Their eyes light up. Almost everyone we meet remembers Highlights from their own childhood, or they're familiar with it because they've invited us to be a part of the childhood of their own kids. They're almost always curious about who we are and why we do what we do and how we do it and how we've managed to stay around for so long. Yeah, I think all of us who work at Highlights field some of those questions, and we thought it would be fun to have the CEO field some of them. It's a little bit fun for us to get to interview our boss today, but really we're bringing him questions from the real boss at Highlights, which is readers. Absolutely. Let's get started. Well, Kent, before we dig in, I'd like to take just a quick minute to thank you for your ongoing support of this podcast and our efforts to amplify the voices of children, which are too often dismissed or overlooked. It's our special pleasure today to amplify your voice and share your thoughts about the purpose and impact of Highlights. So thank you very much for agreeing to be our guest. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. I'm a fan, so I'm a little bit nervous and a little bit honored to participate. So thanks, Chris. Before we begin sharing kids' questions, will you tell us how you came to be the CEO of Highlights? It's, it's not a linear story. So I, I became the CEO of Highlights after essentially doing almost everything I could in my life to not join the family business. So I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. My great-grandparents started Highlights for Children as a husband and wife team back in 1946. My parents never worked here. I was bitten by a science bug. I wanted to do other things, and I sort of had a career before I came to Highlights. And then I got excited about what Highlights was about. I, I know we'll talk about that, about its mission and its its business. And I joined uh, later in life when I was about uh, 35 years old. So, Well, since you were not expecting necessarily to work at Highlights, when you were a kid, what did you think that you would do when you grew up? 
You know, I, I had incredible uh, teachers and experiences at science museums. I mean, I remember a nursery school teacher who, who took a bucket of water and circled it around. And I was just, it's like a salient memory. I was blown away. The water didn't fall out. So I, I was a kind of a geeky kid, a science kid. I was passionate to, with curiosity and, and uh, liked science and math in school. And so I thought I wanted to be a teacher, a lot of educators in my family, or that I might want to do science. And I, that's what I pursued. I studied science in college. I got I uh, was fortunate to teach high school and then studied a lot more science after after college and ended up working in biotech before coming to children's publishing. So I always thought I would be a scientist um, or a teacher, one of those two. Well, and we know that you love science and um, hopefully part of that gets to come into play at Highlights as well, it certainly has science content. Just to understand a little bit more about what kind of kid you were too, which we always like to do, you know, say it was a rainy Sunday afternoon when you were eight or nine or 10, what would you be doing? You know, I, I, I was like, I, I was the puzzler kid, the game kid, like, you know, computer games, I mean, are so advanced today when I watch my children playing computer games, they were not advanced, but any kind of game, um, you know, whether it's with my family or with my friends, I was a Dungeons and Dragons kid, I loved to read. Um, I, I also tr- like enjoyed active things. I mean, I, I, I was a ki- kind of kid when it was raining, I might be arguing to go out and jump in the puddles, right? Rain doesn't necessarily mean you have to stay inside. So I I feel like I grew up in a place where we could kind of have free range a bit more than sometimes today. Um, So, you know, it was was all those things. I I was a pretty, I was a shy kid growing up, like I've had to learn in this job to be more extroverted and to, to talk to people. And, uh, but as a, as a kid, I was pretty shy. I, I was a little intimidated by social interactions with people I didn't know. And I loved games with my friends and, and at school and at home. I think maybe all of us on this podcast might describe ourselves as shy kids, which I hope is an encouragement out there to parents of shy children that uh, people can grow up and be on podcasts or other kinds of communication channels who we're not so into talking as kids. That's right. Well, Kent, talking about your childhood as a curious kid uh, is a great segue to talking about our readers who are curious about so many different things, including highlights. And we think many of their parents are curious to know more about us too. So we thought it would be fun today to satisfy everybody's curiosity, kids and adults alike, by asking you some of the very questions kids have asked us in their letters and emails. And I mean, who better to answer these questions than our CEO? So here we go. (laughs) Hillary, would you like to start us off with one of the questions? Yeah, I think you should be able to answer this one. Uh, One reader wrote to ask us, did the founders have any children? Well, they they did, and I'm very glad because if they didn't have children, I literally wouldn't be here. They had three children. Uh, So Jack, Betty, and Gary uh, Jr., they had three children. They ended up having 13 grandchildren. And I'm a great-grandchild, so we have 27 great-grandchildren of the founders. So yes, fortunately, they did have children. We've got a big, growing, supportive family. Here's another question we're asked a lot. How did you make up the name Highlights? Well, I, I can't say that, that I made it up, obviously, being born a, a good uh, 20-some years after the start of the company. But the story we tell and what the founders wrote is they wanted to create this vehicle for kids and families. And they wanted to bring the absolute best of 
a, a wide variety of different content types, fiction, nonfiction, puzzles, pictures, poems. And they wanted to bring the best because they thought it was so important to bring quality content to kids. So they said it was gonna be the highlights of all these different areas. And that, that name stuck. I mean, that, that's really the origin. We want everything we provide to kids to be a highlight of the category, a highlight for that kid. Yeah, I always love the story of the, uh, the founders creating the first issue of Highlights and how they really, they had a dream and they had an idea and they had a concept, but they didn't really have enough content. And Dr. Myers sent out a telegram to uh, all the children's writers that they could find and invited them to send them their stuff. And I just had this picture in my head all these years of all this wonderful content kind of coming in through the through the doors of their little office and, and they're, you know, plowing through it, picking and choosing the highlights of what was out there. I always love that story. Well, and, and when I get to visit with our editors and, and just, you know, because I don't have a direct role in creating what we create now, but when I, I once in a while get to see what they do and I've just marveled at the magic of the creative process, like watching these talented people put love into all the decisions they make. And for me, that, that always is a little bit of a connection to what you're describing. Like they had to have that kind of passion and love for what they were doing right back at that first issue. And that's, I think part of the secret is how much our people over decades, how much we care about what we're creating. I think that's part of the secret behind the scenes. Maybe we've just made it public. Well, Kent, I think you really are connecting with something that might relate to the next question we have from a reader, too, which is, is it hard slash fun to work at Highlights? I could give you a one-word answer. Yes. <laughs> like, it, it's tremendously fun. I mean, we, you know, we get to work with this wonderful group of people, and, and on our best days, we're trying, it's, it's a constant puzzle. We're trying to solve problems. We're trying to figure out how to create. And there's something fun about creating for kids and creating business ideas and solving problems, but it is hard. The world's competitive. Our organizations are complex. I mean, I, I, there's, there's not many things in, in business and life that are easy, that are worth doing. So yeah, it is hard. And the teams here work really hard. And there are times we get tired, you know, at the end of a long week, we're tired and we, we get our energy from the, the fun we know that can happen. But we also get our energy, I think, from the mission and the impact we're having and the goals we have for kids and families, a place when it's hard, we try to pull on those ideas to give us energy to keep going through the hardness. I appreciate so much the knowing that the reader embedded in that question to write hard slash fun which I think kids really understand. You know, I'd say also working at Highlights that the thing that is as fun as people would expect is you can't work at Highlights without thinking about kids and the reality of kids' lives and kids' minds and kids' imaginations and kids' curiosity every day. And uh, that is fun. It's fun to approach the world with the freshness that children do. Well, it's interesting because our mission, we talk about kids. We want to help kids become their best self. And we are more and more at work trying to say, how do we have, how do we as employees become our best selves? And I think there's a concept that we're trying to get better at. I would love to have our, our readers submit, like, how would fun with a purpose, like, how would fun show up in work? Like, what would they imagine? Because I think while it is fun, and I do honestly say yes to the fun part of that question, 
I think we're actually striving right now in our culture and our climate to make it more fun. And I bet if we had some kids' ideas, probably would be really helpful to us. That's a great idea to ask kids that question. Kids are kind of intrigued by our our uh, slogan, Fun with the Purpose. Some kids have written to us and asked us why we chose that motto. How would you answer that question? Yeah, I, I would. What I, what I like about it is the way fun and purpose are integrated in the tagline or the slogan. So we don't have a model that as humans, we break things up and like there's a portion of the day where we have fun and then there's a portion where there's purpose. Like these things aren't separable, but we also want to really focus on fun is the first, the first part, like fun is what we lead with because with kids and and with adults, if it's not fun, you're not going to engage, you're not going to get into it. So fun with a purpose means the fun um, has a reason. So we're, we're driving towards what um, that child might get out of uh, sort of intrinsic motivation about it. Um, there are many different aspects of purpose we try to put in the fun, so it's not a monolithic purpose. But I was like, sometimes we have this vision, maybe a simple vision of fun is just laughing or, or like watching something fun. We might, I might think of that as sort of, there's an entertainment fun, but it's also really fun to solve a puzzle. Like it's really fun to feel like you've accomplished something, to feel like you've learned something, but that looks different. Like you don't see a, a kid laughing and, and sort of like a classic sort of simple fun. So I, I like to think about in my life, there's a lot of different versions of fun that we get to experience. And they run from joyful, playful, silly, to, you know, a deep satisfaction of accomplishment that I, I feel is a version of fun. And we want kids, we think kids can best develop if they get that whole continuum of fun with a purpose. Um, so what's amazing is fun with a purpose, four, letter, four words, describes a really broad range of human experience and what we're trying to do and trying to put into our content and our experiences that really addresses a whole child, a whole human. Well, and I'll ask a follow-up that we get a lot from adults, which is, are you sure it's not fun with a porpoise? I think there's good jokes that could go with fun with a porpoise and funny pictures, but no, purpose matters. I mean, purpose matters a lot to us at Highlight, so it's it's hard for me to even joke about it. And you know, as a member of the editorial staff and as as a leader of the editorial staff for many years, we've really worked hard to try to include in our magazines you know, all those different kinds of fun, all those different levels of fun, you know, the fun from simply being able to tell a joke really well and to, and to make somebody laugh. And then that fun that you were talking about where you're deeply, deeply engaged in something. And I think we adults often talk about that as being in the flow. Uh, you're doing something you love and you get so immersed in it that you really don't, um, you know, you're not distracted by the other things around you. You're you're centered in, and it's just so rewarding, so satisfying, so fulfilling. And I remember watching my son uh, experience that for the first time. He was doing one of our, our products, our, one of our geography clubs, and it was a little bit advanced for him, actually, but he was totally in the flow. And I remember trying to talk him into putting it down and going to get some ice cream on a Sunday afternoon, and he just wouldn't do it. And I thought, ah, that is really fun with a purpose, you know. That that's a great story, and I, I think we've all seen kids in that and in that in that uh, that sort of mode where they're they can shut things out, they kind of lose a sense of time. You know, I think there's a myth. We sometimes like adults sometimes say like children have short attention spans, 
Like we say that, and I don't think we think deeply about it because I think what you're describing and what we see and what we strive to, to do with our products is you're gonna have a kid, if they're engaged and fun with a purpose, there's not a problem with attention spans. They have the ability to really deeply engage in things if they're rewarding for that child. So I, I, I try to, we, sh we try to reject at Highlights, I think some of the common things people say about children and, and you know, ac accept that there's mm -hmm. more complexity to the humanness of childhood. That's right. And, you know, also in that story about my son, the fact that it was a little bit beyond him or what we thought it was, a little bit advanced for where he was developmentally and, and academically, yet he was hanging in there doing it. And I think we often say, you know, well, we know it highlights that kids will read above their grade level if they're really interested in what they're reading, if you can make it compelling enough. Uh, so I, we do sell kids short sometimes. Well, and to me, that goes back to the, a story I've heard my whole life about the founders, is that they, they believed we should have higher expectations of children than many adults have. So they uh, believed children were often capable of much more than we give them credit for. And I think that also goes to the intrinsic motivation. Like if you, if you describe a child, like, like you describe your son, he really wanted to, that opens up opportunity. And we need to give kids things across a spectrum of challenges, things that are really hard they can strive for. And then there are times, and I feel this way myself as a person, sometimes you want something you just feel like you can achieve with confidence. So you want to be on a continuum of how stretched you are as, as adults in the workforce, as adults in life, but, but especially for children. We often say it highlights that childhood is a short, sweet season. And I think that one of the things about that is many grownups are very far from their own childhoods. And some of that respect for how um, complicated kids are, how interesting and diverse they are, comes from when you can really get close to your own memories of childhood. Another reader wrote to ask us, what is the best part of working at Highlights? What is the best part for you, Kent? You know, I'm, 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 I'm not going to give you one. I want to give you two best parts. And the first best part is just the people, the people we get to work with here. I mean, we are incredibly blessed as an organization of the quality of people and how they bring their whole self to this company. And I'm, I, I wake up every day just being grateful that, that so many people join in this shared mission and purpose of our organization. So that's, that's, that's sort of the number one I feel most acutely day to day. But I think the second best thing is a more of a long-term best thing. There are times we get letters from readers who are maybe they've grown to be an adult and they're, they're reflecting back to us the impact and how much it meant to them, their relationship with us as a company, a brand, a magazine. Over time, maybe they've written to us as kids, maybe we were there when they needed us. And for me, one of the best things is just to be able to reflect that the collective work we do to put these products out into the world that, that form a relationship with families, that it's having a positive impact Many times we don't know about that positive impact, but we get these little clues coming back from customers or from people we talk to. And for me, that's a really, really great and important part, not only of working at Highlights, but it's an important part of my life to feel like I'm part of something that's, that's putting some good out in the world at a scale uh, at a scale of reach that's important, but also knowing those specifics that sometimes we really make a difference in kids' lives 
like that matters a lot to me, and I and I think it matters a lot to to our employees and the and on all of us who put our efforts into into the this company. Yeah, I I would agree with you. That's really one of the best things about working at Highlights: that ability to get up in the morning and go to work, confident that we're doing something meaningful for kids, whom we refer to often as the world's most important people. In this podcast, we always ask our guests, what would we do differently if we really believe that the children were the world's most important people? You know, I, I mean, I, I, when I reflect on it, I, I think that's, we're trying to do the differently every day. So there are many things we, which yes. we, I, I want us to be more successful. I want us to reach more kids. I want us to be in more media. I want us to, to sort of do more. Because it's, to me, the impact, if you really believe the children are the world's most important people, like, I take it down to one child. Like, have we done well enough with that product to have the most impact in the experience that child with their family or with a teacher, uh, with an aunt and uncle, like, the most impact on that one interaction? So that's about quality, right? But then the marketer, the business person in me says, well, if we're achieving that, if we've created something that can be the scaffold of a meaningful experience... Have, have we reached enough kids? Like, are we on the marketing and business side, are we living up to the quality we put in the product and reaching as many kids? So I'm, I'm a numbers guy, I like math. I mean, we should reach more children here in the United States, outside the United States. Like I get up and say, if I believed it, I gotta work harder. We gotta be more effective at, at reaching kids. So there is a passion I have about growth um, because of the impact, not growth for growth's sake, but if we believe that those individual interactions are so positive, we got to reach more kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that individual impact, I've always loved that. We, we have a letter from a child who asks if we respond to all the letters and emails we get. And, and regular listeners of this podcast know that we do because we often say that. But I've always loved that that's... Um, that the company is willing to serve fun with the purpose and help kids one at a time in that way. And then also, you know, millions at a time with our magazines and books and, and clubs. Um, is there anything you want to say about this cherished tradition we have of answering every letter and email we receive from kids that really started with the founders? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes way back and it's it's important. I, I guess the thing I'd want to say is actually my first job at the company. So my parents never worked at the company. I never lived in a city where we had employees, but I had a summer job in the editorial offices and half my time was spent reading and uh, kids' letters and sort of being part of that tradition. And I'm I'm not sure that I added any value to the process, but the, the people at the time thought it was important enough for my learning about what the company was about to be spending that time reading what kids wrote. And I know it's long been a tradition that, that across our editorial staff, people get exposed. We try to actually bring some of those letters to our all company calls so that everyone in the company is feeling like they're hearing the voice of children and, and, and that children entrust us with their questions, their problems, with their submissions. Um, and I guess the other thing is sometimes people have said, and I don't, I don't know uh, whether they, like, doesn't it cost a lot? to do that. And it's funny because Chris, you and I, over the years, we've said, you know what, we're not actually going to measure what it costs. Like, so we don't have, I don't know what it costs us to do that. We just do it because it's right. And because it's important. 
Um, so I think, I mean, those are tidbits I think people might wonder. It's not a marketing piece. It's a relationship piece with our readers. Yep. Answering a letter from a child, priceless, to borrow from another company's commercial. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and so in honor of that, we wanted to, we're asking some questions that have been pulled out of letters that kids write to us, but rarely do they just send us one question about the company. They write the way kids write. They tell us a little bit about themselves. They ask a little bit about us. Chris knows we have many kids who have an ongoing correspondence with us. So it's not one and done. They're writing back and forth. They're checking in for our answers. We wanted to read a whole letter that includes a question from Highlights. Um, And this is from a reader named Jillian who writes, Dear Highlights family, I really like Highlights. We used to get them. Then we stopped. Now we get them again. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am almost 11. My favorite color is orange. My favorite animal is a chipmunk. I have a chocolate lab puppy named Fern. I enjoy playing sports and I love school. I have three older siblings and a mom and a dad. I also love art. I like to spread kindness by helping those in need, praying a Hail Mary every time I see a homeless person. And I almost crossed out, like to include people if they want to play with us. I was also wondering, why did you decide to write highlights? On the About You page, I would like to put in, I love chipmunks because they are cute and cuddly. Sincerely, Jillian. So Ken, I'm wondering, there was a, we learned a lot of content in there. I love every piece of it. But if you could help answer Jillian's question, why did we decide to write highlights? Well, first of all, we, we have to say, like, wh- wherever you are in the world, whatever you're thinking about the future, if that letter and the insight it gives you into children doesn't give you hope for our collective future, like, you should rewind, listen to it again. I mean, the uh, inclusion and kindness, like, this generation of children ca- cares about each other and cares about the kind of community we need to have as humans. So I get so much hope. Um, I like purple, so but I'm okay with orange. Like we can we can adapt. Like what's this good individuality? But why? I mean, we we. I mean, it's it's the wide of everything that we do. I mean, we started highlights. We create it because we believe children are the world's most most important people. Because we believe that having content and products that can mediate positive uh, developmental experiences for those kids, experiences with fun with a purpose that can create those experiences are part of their development and can make the world a better place. I mean, in our vision statement for the company, which is too long to read, but it kind of closes with the idea, and this is the aspirational vision, that we're creating highlights, we're creating all these things. We want to be successful as a company because we we, we believe it can then go out and affect all aspects of society. So I think if, if we had any, like how humbling to think that maybe the relationship with Highlights had a role in that child being so passionate about kindness and including friends, like if we had a little role with that and that echoes out across Jillian's whole lifetime, like to me, that's something really important. That's why we're, we create Highlights. That's why we exist, to plant all those little seeds that could echo into a, a, a more positive set of human interactions and human conditions for, for our, our species, our, our humanness. So I don't know, that, that may be saying, like you might think, a listener might say, wait, you make a magazine? 
we're not really a magazine company. We're not really making a magazine. We're trying to plant millions of little seeds that help children develop in a positive way to make this world that our environment uh, a better place for everyone. So the why is a big why. I, I almost sound, I feel a little bit like it's too much, but that's the honest answer of why we're doing this. Childhood is so short and it's so important to the scaffolding of who a person becomes. We know that too from the letters that adults send back about how important a place highlights played in their lives. And that's true of, for most of us of some book or TV show or piece of content that we interacted with outside of our family. It's some of the most impactful things about how we learn who we are and what the world is. So, you know, I work here too, but I guess I'm telling you I buy it, that it's this important and that we're all here because, um, like you said, at that individual child level, when you think about impacting a kid's life, we know that we actually have a huge responsibility as well as an opportunity. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that sense of responsibility that I just mentioned, because we know that we have a really big place in kids' lives, you also have a family legacy to carry on. So how does that feeling of responsibility come into your um, life at work? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because being a, a person in a family business, there's often associated certain pressure around the family. And I think you know, as we think about highlights, both as employees, but also as the family that has descended from the founders, I think the concept of stewardship is a really important concept. So it's not um, necessarily about us and right now, it's about how do we continue a legacy? Because what we're able to do with, with four children, four families today is built on generations of employees who worked incredibly hard and had success and put us in this spot. And we each have this role, like we're part of this, we, we get to write our chapter of highlights and sort of try to execute with excellence, try to leave this company and what we do more impactful, more relevant, um, try to continue in the tradition, but also build new traditions within that overall context of the vision and values and purpose. Um, so it's a huge responsibility. Like it's a, and, and to me, one of the tricks, um, I think when you feel responsibility and, you know, I know elementary school teachers feel it, right? You, you're molding, uh, parents feel it, aunts and uncles feel it. Anyone who's engaged in person with kids, you feel that responsibility, but we have to have some mechanisms. Like we have to suppress sometimes that responsibility from the front of our mind, because we have to be able to be free and have fun and be able to innovate. So you have to sort of put the level of responsibility because it's awesome the responsibility that we have to the legacy and to the impact. But if that were front and center, it's like, it's hard to act. Mm -hmm. So how do you have the responsibility be motivating to make you strive to be better, to be part of the intrinsic reward and intrinsic motivation in the work, but not let it um, kind of become pressure or something that causes you to pause or doubt yourself or, or take too long on decisions. So we're, we're trying to balance, or I think about it is, I can't, I can't wake up and think, oh my gosh, my great grandparents started this. What if we mess it up today? Like yeah. that's not a very, like that's sort of fear, that's worry. Yeah. 
Like, and people will ask me that, like, how do you feel? Like, what if you mess this up? And I have to say, I can't think about that. I have to think, what if we did something great today? Like, what if we had a really good set of progress? Like, what kind of positive would that make in the world? Because, and I don't never play baseball, but you don't want to get up at the plate and think about striking out. You have to yeah. think about the opportunity. I might get a double. I might get a single. I might hit a home run. Well, so you know, it's tough. Humans have a bit of a negativity bias at times. I think, um, you know, especially when we look at the world as a whole, what do you think your great-grandparents would be delighted by about how the world has changed for children over the last 77 years? You know, that, it's a difficult question. I, I think they would be delighted just about the opportunity kids have, how much how much content, like, I, I, I think, you know, in a way, we do talk about this phenomenon of children growing up younger, like that there's like an acceleration in development. I think they would be excited to see the places where even when kids have so much exposure and so much opportunity that they still get to be kids, get to play, like that there's there's opportunity, but there's still some of the joys of that sweet, short, sweet season that kids get to experience. It's tough, I think, you know, because they were in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s, um, you know, there's some like media change. I think they'd be excited about everything kids get to do. I think, you know, we talk about print versus digital. I think they would be saying, why aren't we doing more really great things on digital? Why do we, why do we not have more wonderful apps? Like, I think they would be excited about the possibilities. Um, I think they'd be excited that we're still here. I think they'd be excited that a, that a positive vision of child development could still drive an organization that when they started was very small. And we're not a huge company, but I think they'd be pretty excited to see we're still uh, finding ways to implement a positive, optimistic philosophy around children and child development and positive family relationships, that that could still be a motivating, driving force for a set of people. I think they would find that wonderful. I mean, we have to approach, we have to, you know, like it's the, the bad, we have to approach the world with optimism. And I'm sure they would recognize all these challenges we have in society and you could name them or people could think about it. What, what challenges we have. We have to raise kids. We have to nurture in children the optimism that they're going to have the agency and ability to make this world a better place. Because if they're not optimistic about that, they probably won't try. And if we had the millions of children that live in the United States today optimistic about the way they could make the world a better place, like I'm willing to step aside as an adult and let them take it on. I and mean, that gives me hope. You know, the founders were cutting edge for their time. And I think were they alive today, they would also be right on the cutting edge, the growing edge of everything. And they were great believers, great respecters of children. And um, they had a lot of optimism about kids and, and saw the importance of instilling optimism in children. And I think they defined optimism or looked at optimism sort of the way we look at it today at Highlights. It's not glass half full or you know, making lemonade out of lemons. It's the ability to see the good in yourself, the good in others, and the good in the world. And that's, I think, how the founders, your great-grandparents viewed optimism. That's how we view it today. And um, maybe that's a good note on which to end this podcast. Uh, let's all work together to help create optimistic children who are curious, creative, caring, and confident so that they can make the world a better place. That's what we're all about. That's why I get up every morning. Me too. 
Ken, thanks so much for your time. This was terrific. You can learn more about kids' hopes and dreams and their worries and fears from the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available on highlights.com or wherever you buy your books. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and share the link with your friends. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hilary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher. <laughs>